When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to the Heal the Hurt podcast. Today I'm incredibly excited. It was 17 years ago that I walked into this man's office and broken. Man, I'm going to cry. Um, I was in the midst of a divorce, completely broken and I said to him, after telling him a little bit about what was going on and everything, I said, you know, flat out, I said, Mike, I don't know how to be a man. And his reply to me changed my life. He said, you know, Kenny, when I was in your shoes, I went and became an expert. That started the ball rolling. At that point, I learned I, I went from a 38-year-old child in a man's body and began the process of growing up. And learned how to navigate life and the difficulties. And I owe this man my life. He has guided me to reclaim my soul. He's the man who noticed a couple weeks in, or not a couple weeks, a couple months into our work together. He said to me, Kenny, you have a gift. I had left school, college early to play pro hockey. And he said, get any piece of paper. I don't care what it says. You just need the piece of paper, but you need to come work for me. You're that gifted. And that put the first seeds into me reclaiming my soul and realizing this was always what I was meant to do. And he led me in that journey. And so lately I've been getting a fair amount of publicity or notice from people and they're very thankful, my clients and people that watch my videos. And while I appreciate that, whatever expertise I share with you, nearly all of it has come from this man. And this is the man you have to thank. And I have begged him for years to write books. I at least got him to show up today. And he's just, man, you love his pocket square. Just <laughs> He started as my counselor. Yeah, he's got a little sock in there just to, just to show me he loves me. And he started as my counselor. He became my mentor. Now we're colleagues and friends, and I just love this man, and I want you to meet him. Um, the world needs his wisdom and his knowledge, and I'm so thankful that I got him on here so I can share some of that with you. So let me give you a little bit of background on Mike so you can get to know him as well. The first thing to know about Mike is that he is a clinician. Mike's 41-year career has been a daily dedication to lovingly help people heal the pain from their past and grow into and flourish as healthy adults. Mike received his master's degree in 1980 from Denver Seminary and has done ex extensive postgraduate work. He was certified as a licensed professional counselor in 1995 in the state of Texas and in Colorado in 1998. Most of his practice throughout the years has been centered on helping individuals through complex trauma issues including sexual trauma and violent mental and physical abuse, 
to sexual addiction and sexual criminal behavior. As a member of the Tarrant Council on Sexual Abuse, Mike chaired a multimodal committee of doctors, lawyers, psychologists, psychiatrists, and child protective services to create a screening and treatment protocol adopted by the state of Texas for the treatment of adolescent sex offenders. But that's not all, we have a long way to go. Mike also has expertise in PTSD, dissociative disorders, codependence, love addiction, love avoidance, parenting, marriage and family structures. He has advanced certification in EMDR and clinical, hi- hi- <laughs> clinical hypnosis. Mike has spent over 25 years supervising and mentoring other clinicians. In 2012, Mike changed the emphasis of his practice from counseling to clinical neurofeedback. After seeing the benefits of teaching individuals how to change their brain functioning to overcome psychological and learning disorders, he jumped into this field with both feet as he's done with everything. He lives his message. He went and became an expert. He has trained extensively with top leaders in the field, including Dr. Joel Lubar, Robert Thatcher, Dr. John Demos, Dr. Stephen Stockdale, and Jay Gunkelman. His primary expertise is in the quantitative assessment of individuals' brain activity, something they call the QEEG, and retraining the brain back into normalcy using something they call the Loretta Z score of neurofeedback. He's a board certified by the International QEEG Certification Board. As a, he is also a QEEG diplomat and is now an executive member of the IQCB. He is also a member of other professional societies like the International Society of Neurofeedback Research, the Society for Brain Mapping and Therapeutics. He also mentors medical professionals, psychologists, psychiatrists, and other clinicians in learning how to accurately assess patients using neurofeedback and then applying the assessments to practical treatment. There it is. Now you wonder why I get comments of, I've never heard this information before. Why aren't people teaching this? Well, I'd worked with countless counselors before running into Mike and I got lucky, incredibly lucky. Man who has such a depth and breadth of information. And it goes way beyond the superficial information that most people share. And that's why I'm so thankful to have met him and any benefit you get from whatever it is I do, you can now see where most of it came from. So Mike, welcome. And I love you. The pockets are just great. So how are you today? Just, just Should we show that this is a sock? Yeah. Sock. Yes. <laughs> exactly. But first of all, I, I don't want to forget this. How can listeners get in touch with you? Can you please give them your contact information This is in, in case they, they need help? Um, the best way would probably be to email me at mike at the heartmatters.org. Uh, that's also my website, um, here in Colorado Springs. That's where our clinic is. And, um, they can also call 719-257-3488. Uh, it's a Google number and I get a, uh, a text and an email anytime somebody calls so I can check that. Uh, I also get a lot of spam calls so that. That's why I use that number now. So, um, so, so yeah, our, our offices are in Colorado Springs um, on the north side and 
right across from the Air Force Academy. Great. You've been there. <laughs> I, I, well, and as I thought about it, I say this all the time, I, I figured out that over a 10-year period, I probably worked with you for seven full years doing all of my stuff. That we every week I drove that hour and a half from Denver to Colorado Springs, and then sometimes twice a week for group. Um, but I took your words to heart, and um, it's been the greatest. I, I've I've had some successes in life, but it's the this is brings me the most joy of anything I've ever pursued, and I'm mm -hmm. so thankful for your part in that. So I, I'm, I'm thankful, and I'm thankful for you. So yeah. uh, you're doing what I can't do. Well, as you, as you always say, we always find our place. So, you know, <laughs> so tell us all about you. Give us some background on your most, because I use my life story to teach the concept. Some people like that. Some people don't give us your life story. Get, bring us what got you into all this. I mean, we, I just said kind of what got me into it. What about you? How, why is this your passion? Um, well, do you want to know about me or do you want to know about oh. why this is my passion? Oh. Okay. Oh. Well, um, historically, I grew up in Knoxville, Tennessee. Uh, I was born in Short, North Carolina, so you hear my southern draw. And um, when I was uh, a young boy, I was an athlete and um, I was pretty good in school. And I thought I grew up in a normal family, but that started to change when I was about 10 years old and my mother got pregnant. And so I was going to have, I was 10, so I was going to have a little brother. I was not going to be the little brother anymore. And I have an older brother and older sister. And um, that was the most exciting thing in my life that, my, that I was going to have that. And I won't go into too much detail about that, but my mother, uh, at the end of term, uh, lost that baby. And, uh, when it did, it just rocked our world. It's like an atom bomb set off in, in our family. And I, I didn't have a family after that, not a family that was nurturing, caring. Um, what I had was a mother who was depressed and on prescription drugs, um, and alcohol uh, the rest of her life, a father who uh, ended up having a nervous breakdown in, uh, two years later, but uh, was uh, became a severe alcoholic, violent alcoholic. Their violence entered our family. And, um, oh gosh. Um, and, you know, eventually it got so bad. Uh, you know, my mother hung in there you know I've, I've i've thought a lot recently about uh you know how much i judged my mother for leaving my dad but now i uh have some you know new, renewed respect my both of my parents are not alive anymore but, um i've renewed respect for how long she tried to hold a family together um and, um, you know, what I've learned uh, really from PM Melody, um, you know, we all have our people that we thank and that are making us who we are today. And I have as long a list as you do. And uh, my wife is one of the other uh, people uh, that I've never seen anybody more committed to growth and change as uh, she is. And 
has been. But um, my adaptation was to be the caretaker of both parents and and my you know older siblings and my father's violence. I was um, the one who would he would listen to you know and that started around ten. You know, I would say, Dad, you got to quit yelling at mom and he quit. And uh, then it was, Dad, you got to quit hitting mom (laughs) and he would quit um, if I was there. And so that developed um, a great deal of what I I think you talk about it, but I talk about it quite a bit is false empowerment. Uh, It's the idea that I have these talents and gifts. but they're really an adaptation to survive. And um, so um, eventually um, I moved back. Uh, we, we were living in, my mother uh, left my dad and we moved to Texas. And then I moved back to Tennessee with my dad and uh, finished high school and then moved back to Texas because my dad was then diagnosed bipolar. He was spending months in and out of mental hospitals. And uh, he was uh, very manic. He was funny um, and charming uh, in those hospitals. And if you've ever seen One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, my dad was the Jack Nicholson character. And, uh, um, and so I would go and see him in the hospitals when I was in high school and cut hair. I learned to cut hair <laughs> with him and he would shave them and, and and it was a time of, of bonding for us that was in a kind of a neutral atmosphere. It was uh, a good thing uh, overall. But uh, ended up, you know, going to college. I had nine majors probably in the first two years because I didn't know, you know, I didn't, you know, um, the thing about trauma is that um, when, you're, when you're in survival, you're only living in now. Okay, you can't look at the past because it's too painful. You you can't think about the future because you don't know if you're going to have a future, and and also you're always thinking about what's what bad things getting ready to happen next. In um, in, in PTSD terms, that's the sense of foreboding doom, and I still live with that. Um, uh, that was part of the discussion that I had with my wife just before this podcast, and. Um, and so um, eventually people said, you know, you're a good listener. You ought to um, uh, go into counseling. And, and so um, I, I majored in psychology and religion. Great, uh, two great uh, paths to not make any money. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, um, you know, I wanted to learn to t- uh, to think. And, you know, one thing, things I've learned about me, I didn't think I was uh, a very smart guy, but I learned that uh, I'm on the Myers-Briggs, what's called an intuitive. There's two types of uh, people, sensors, which is 96% of the people in the world. And then there's intuitives and sensors take data and they can just, you know, they can just use it. And uh, intuitives can't, they have to understand the whole picture and how that works. And so, so when, you know, you say I'm jumping in with two feet, it's uh, because I have to uh, 
take apart everything that I'm about, whether it's about me personally or whether it's about counseling somebody else or whether it's about neurofeedback. Um, and I have to remind myself, especially when I'm beginning a journey, that I will know more about it in a year than most people do in five years. And I'll know about it in five years better than most people will in, in 20 years. And, and if I can hold on, you know, and not get too frustrated and not get too anxious because I just don't know enough, um, then that usually, you know, I learn to trust the process that, which is what I, I learned to do, then, um, then I'll be okay. And, and I'll be, helpful to others and 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 that is my heart I, you know part of that process when I was in high school is through young life I became a Christian and and that that saved my life and and I don't want to sound religious um, because I'm not very religious as you know <laughs> and I'm just a normal person but um, that changed uh, kind of the centering of my life so that I had uh, some focus and direction, um, and which, you know, ended up leading me, uh, you know, I was the first person in my family to get a college, uh, college degree and then first person to get a graduate degree. And I've got a couple of graduate degrees now and, uh, have expertise in, you know, a number of fields. And, um, part of that is that intuitive thing. I, I can't just take a piece yeah. and, and be okay. You know, I, I have to understand it so that I can then uh, figure out a way to communicate it that's uh, helpful to others and helps them um, uh, grow and mature. And so, I, you know, I got married when I was uh, in my 20s and I got divorced right after I graduated school. And um, and that was uh, one of the most painful things in my life. Uh, just because I felt like I failed everything, you know, and, um, and that's, that was the beginning of the school of growing up. And, um, so, um, that's a lot. I'm sorry. Um, uh, just, just thinking about that, but, um, you know, I, you know, I stayed single for a number of years and, um, and then I met my wife and uh, my wife uh, is older than I am. And she had three kids and uh, we got married. And um, and the reason I married her, besides the fact that she was one of the most beautiful women I'd ever seen, was uh, she was the, one of the most beautiful women I'd ever seen inside. And and her commitment to growth and change, you know, I, I've seen a lot of people talk it, but she walks it. You know, and um, she, I mean, she, she's just always amazed me and challenged me. And so when I needed somebody to look to uh, for that model of grow, you know, growing up inside and, you know, P.M.L.D. talks about that, you know, codependence isn't about me needing somebody to make my life whole, although that's a form of it what codependence principally is about is the fact that I'm an adult, but inside I'm a kid and I'm still living according to the adaptations, whether they're on the shame side or uh, less than side or on the better than side, which is that false empowerment. And, and so, um, 
uh, that, you know, I'm skipping a bunch of stuff, but that, that, um, brought me back into counseling. I quit because I just didn't want to do something that I didn't feel like I could help people with. And if I didn't have the wisdom and maturity to do, uh, you know, I, I needed to grow up and I needed to grow up where internally, you know, I was an adult and, um, and so that I could help people. And I mean, if that's my pursuit and that is my pursuit, that's been my heart's pursuit since I was 10, probably, you know, and, um, so, um, I, you know, I, I did that. And then eventually, um, uh, they changed the laws about counseling and, and, uh, licensure. And so I went back to school and got my license, uh, because it was required and, then, uh, you know, you know, I was practicing, I'd been practicing for 15 years when that started. And, and, and so then I worked, uh, really with, uh, some of the most hurting people, uh, in, in the world and, you know, torture victims, people that had grown up in the most horrendous abuse you could ever imagine. And you can't imagine it. It's just unbelievable. And, I mean, I, I knew what that felt like to an extent, and uh, I, I was also a, a sex abuse victim, and so I knew what that felt like too. And, and um, you know, I, I was working through that while I was counseling other people who were working through that. And and um, thank God for people like Pia Melody and the therapist that I went to and AA, and uh, I'm not an alcoholic, but I loved AA and I love AA because, um, I believe in the 12 step process and those people need needed what I needed. And that is, I needed hope or, or I was going to die. And, uh, and so that's why I went to AA and I could hear hope and strength and, and love from other people. And, um, and so, um, I don't know, am I going the direction you want me to go to? You're going great. Um, what got you into neurofeedback? You. So the story, I tell this story all the time. Um, you know, I had worked with Kenny for a while and, you know, Kenny, Kenny is a, a superb individual and he's a su- extremely talented individual in so many areas. I mean, you're talking about athletics, you know, this guy's a thoroughbred and, and, um, you know, he, he's as good a golfer as most of the guys on the tour and, and professional hockey, you know, you don't get, if you're not elite, you don't get there. And, and he, he certainly is that. And he was elite and in dysfunction too. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I and, would say it's probably my greatest skill set. <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 and anybody, we had, uh, you know, we had a, a few years of, of really deep work and then he, you know, he came back and, and we talked about, you know, golf and stuff like that. And I was very interested in it too. And, and learning to, you know, help him, uh, if he wanted to pursue that dream and, you know, caddy for him a couple of times. And, and, and anyway, um, I'm not gonna, it's not my story to tell, but he came into my office one day and, and he had been going, you know, going through something that was really traumatic. And the Kenny I knew 
would have been bouncing off the walls. And, um, you know, he, he, he would not have been moderate. And he came in and he talked. And, and, and this was really hard stuff. I mean, really hard stuff, okay? As hard as anything I've ever heard anybody walk through. And I'm listening to him be appropriate, adult, moderate. And I'm like, what the heck happened to him? I mean, I'm literally, I'm, I'm heartbroken by what he's telling me. But I'm overjoyed because of the maturity I'm seeing. And I'm going, you know, we've worked a long time together and I didn't do that. You know, what happened? And so finally I asked you, I said, well, what happened? And you told me, well, you were at the golf course and you met this young lady who uh, had been involved with uh, neurofeedback. And because I knew where you practice, I knew I had an idea who that young lady was, and I knew her story. And her father was a college roommate, and he's a therapist in Denver. And um, and when I heard, you know, I knew what she had been through, and it was nothing short of miraculous. And the process for both of you was neurofeedback. So I called her dad, and I said, how's your daughter doing? And and he said, she's great, man. She has not ever been on medication. She's, you know, she's, she is a, she's getting ready to get her master's degree. She's a tech doing neurofeedback for uh, this particular professional that you were working with. Yeah. And, and so I, I, he said, you know, we sent her to one of my other college roommates and his clinic in Dallas. And, and so I called him and, and he, um, you know, he, he and I talked for hours and talked a, a, about how, how it worked. And uh, to be honest with me, with you, he, he told me some things that scared me uh, about neurofeedback. And, and I was very, you know, uh, apprehensive and partly because, again, I'm an intuitive. I got to understand it, which I do now. But uh, when he told it to me, it, it, it was kind of scary. And so then I called... Um, um, the professional that you worked with. And I went up and observed and uh, she said, well, I'll help you. I'll help you get the equipment and I'll get you started. And she helped me get the equipment and introduced me to Steve Stockdale uh, here in Colorado Springs. And then I never heard from her again for a long time. And, and so it's like, Oh no, but Steve Stockdale happened to be, um, you know, one of the top guys in the field. Uh, so she left me in great hands and he knew the direction that I wanted to go. The reason I do the kind of neurofeedback that I do is that uh, I think it's safer. I think it's more scientific and uh, I think it's more effective. Um, not to say that other neurofeedback isn't effective. It is, it's incredibly effective, but I wanted to be, I wanted to do the safest and the best and most effective treatment I could if I was gonna learn this stuff. And I thought I was kind of going the easy way too, um, because a lot of this was, um, you know, kind of a plug-in, you know, software type stuff. And um, turned out I went the hardest way I could have gone, you know, because I had to learn all about the brain. I had to learn, you know, and I didn't know, you know, the frontal lobes from the parietal lobes, you know, when I started. And I didn't know uh, any of the uh, vernacular that was used. 
And Steve hooked me up with Dr. Joel Lubar. Now, you've never heard of Dr. Joel Lubar. Dr. Joel Lubar uh, was one of the um, beginners, if you will, of, of neurofeedback back in the 60s. And he and a guy named Barry Sherman and a couple other guys had taken some principles from biofeedback, began to apply them uh, first to animals and then um, to people. And Joel was one of the first people to teach uh, children not to have seizures by training their brain. And he was using the same methodologies that most people still use today in neurofeedback. Uh, the biggest difference between uh, Joel and Steve is Steve is very happy in that world, but Joel isn't, and he continued to advance, and, and um, he had uh, a lab in a clinic uh, at the University of Tennessee, Knoxville, for 40 years or so, and uh, you know he's one of the top. He and Dr. Thatcher are two of the top uh, brain experts in the world, and I mean, they know more about it than and their little fingers than I'll ever know. And, and once I hooked up with him, um, <clears throat> I've never let him go. Uh, I, you know, like I said, he knows more than his little finger than I, I I'll, I'll ever know. But since I started this, what, eight, nine years ago, I've met with him every week, sometimes twice a week, sometimes three times a week. Uh, and he's not free <laughs> because I wanted to learn from the best and and uh, and I spent hours and hours and hours and hours learning about the brain, reminding myself, especially in those early days, that in a year you'll know more than most people that have been doing it for five and so on and so forth. And so then uh, I started a practice using it. I, I offered it for free to help. People and I started seeing miraculous things. I started seeing people been on antidepressants for 25 years get off antidepressants and no longer be depressed. <laughs> and I, you know, I started treating conditions that I like bipolar that I didn't think were even treatable outside of medication. And I had, you know, people go off medication. Uh, their psychotic episodes ended. Their up and down swings ended. And um, and, you know, and I was talking, I'm talking about rapid cycling, three psychotic episodes a week, people coming into my clinic and, and being symptom free, you know, 10, 15 sessions in and, you know, which is, you know, a very short time period. And, uh, and that was the other thing is that, you know, feedback is a short treatment. It doesn't, you don't do it for years, therapy, counseling. And it sticks. Uh, right. And, um, and, and the other thing that, yeah, it sticks and, and, you know, there's studies that show that it sticks 20 years later, you know, five years later, 10, or, you know, two years later, um, there's been, there's more science on this stuff than you would ever imagine. And, um, anyway, um, that's kind of how I ended up doing this and, and, you know, the ultimate goal was, um, that, you know, to be efficient and effective with helping people and, and not just fixing them. Although if there's anything that does a fix, neurofeedback can be a fix um, because they don't, you know, my clients don't come back and see me, you know, you, I've had a couple in the last nine years come back and they, you know, for other issues or they got, you know, in a car wreck or something like that and had traumatic brain injury. But um, 
you know, the thing that I, I, I did, and, you know, I am a person of faith and, and I prayed for probably 10 or 15 years. I just would say, you know, when I was working with trauma people, I would say, God, I need something better. I, I just need something better that will help people more. And, and I'm a person that believes in, you know, getting as many tools as you can get and, and, and learning to use those tools efficiently and effectively. And, and when that, when you walked in my office, another tool landed in my toolbox. And, um, cause I tried every goddamn tool, pardon my life. <laughs> I didn't care. Someone mentioned a therapy mod. I was like, I'm in. So I, was, I, I was a pin cushion on myself. I didn't, I was like, I'll try it. I mean, like you with the MDR, I remember the first time it was like second, third appointment. You go, so. What do you think about this thing called EMDR? I was like, what is it? I was like, I don't even care. Do it. If I said, will it help me? Like most people mm-hmm. get really nervous about recovery and about, mm-hmm. you know, healing anything. And I'm the opposite. I'm like, let's go. You say it'll work. Mm-hmm. Let's I'll try it. So I've tried. I, I have forgotten all the modalities that I have pursued. And yeah, but this was, this was one of them. And, yeah. Right. And, and just bringing that up. Um, so, and it's probably because of just not feeling adequate, but, but I've, I've, you know, a- after I got, you know, my, my degree and, 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 you know, no offense to anybody that's a college professor, you're wonderful. Thank you. Uh, but, you know, most, programs are just, you know, they're just so generic. They don't teach you how to help people. And, and so, you know, you find that out both in trial and error and you find it out, you know, as a therapist and, and finding good mentorship, good supervision and which I, um, I was scared of because, you know, I also didn't want, you know, to look stupid, uh, around an expert, but, um, but I somehow always seemed to overcome uh, that uh, fear and find people who were, you know, the best in the, in the country to work with and to be trained by and uh, or to be mentored by or supervised by. And, and, and so, you know, when I'm working with uh, people who are so broken, you know, and, you know, they have, you know, uh, 150 alternate personalities uh, because they've been actually trained to create those and and but their trauma is just so horrific and you know half the time you're in the corner with them and they're in the fetal position and and I'm going oh, I need something better I need something better something that and because it's it was it was not only hard on them it was hard on me it was it, I mean it was horrific it was terrifying to in and, and you know, I'm walking with them. Okay. I'm, I'm not, I'm not sitting back going, Hmm, that's very interesting. You know, I'm, I'm on the floor with them. I've got my hand on their shoulder saying, it's okay. It's okay. You're safer. You're safe. You know, whatever. And I, you know, I'm using every tool and technique that I had and I read uh, a journal article in 1990 uh, that Francine Shapiro had written. She's the uh, originator of EMDR. And I went, well, I, ha- I have all these other tools. Um, why not implement this? Okay. And, 
for those of you who don't know what EMDR, it's it's really not truly eye movement. That's that was the original concept, but it's bilateral stimulation of the brain. So you can do it with tapping, you can do it with sound, which I often use. You can do it with you know these little buzzer things that people. That's what my wife uses. You can do it with you know, moving. I like the, sound. the sound was best for me. I remember yeah, it was, it was best for me. And what I found was that people, you know, this is my illustration. Uh, here in Colorado, we have Eisenhower tunnel. Anybody that's been through up by 70 to go skiing, they've been through Eisenhower tunnel. And, and so my illustration was that traditional trauma therapy before was like this. You and I are walking in the dark through Eisenhower tunnel and I've got a flashlight and you're telling me what you see. And when we find something, we go and process through that. And that process can be, you know, five sessions. Okay. And it can be uh, lots of emotions and, 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 reconfiguring thoughts and, and experiences and, and I mean can be a hard process and and so that's was what I was used to doing with people because that was the only thing we could do uh, and uh, in the 80s and early 90s and so she comes up with this concept that that the brain somehow um, when you bilaterally stimulate it while you're thinking about um, either the emotions or the physical content uh, of the trauma or, or even the memories of the trauma. You know, a lot of people don't have that, um, but they have body memories and they have emotional uh, things that trigger them and, and you know, they're off the, the target, um, you know, for a while. Um, so with the MBR, it was like, you know, what I, even said to you, I said, all right, we got a Ferrari. Uh, you're driving. I'm in the passenger side. <clears throat> and here's what I'm going to tell you to do. We're going to go through Eisenhower Tunnel, floor it. And whatever appears in the headlights, observe it. And then we buzz through. And that's what we did. I will never forget. I, I'm going to interject. It just... I, I, the first time we did it, we were going to go back to, you know, I was like, nah, you finding my mom passed out naked on the toilet at 10 was the moment. I'm like, but I'm, you know, I'm in my third. I'm like, yeah, I've dealt with it. I've talked to counselors. I'm over it. And you're like, why don't we just take a look at that? <laughs> and you're like, well, you know, let's just take, you know, cause you're not going to tell me I'm wrong. And so, and I will never forget before we started, you said, now, Kenny, when the train comes, just get on it. I was like, huh? And so we started replaying me walking in and then, you know, okay. So and you'd, we'd stop and you go, so what are you seeing? What are you feeling? Where in your body do you feel it? Okay, focus on that feeling and go back in. You know, and we kind of went and then we get to the moment where I find my mom and Man, I don't know if you remember. I shattered, <laughs> like I just split open. Like mm -hmm. I don't know that I. Well, one other time, the 
the withdrawal and the suicide stuff, the wailing that I went through mm. eight, nine years ago, those two are, I just lost it. But as soon as it was coming, it was like this, oh, I've got to get away. And then I remembered your words. No, get on. And I just jumped. And, and I will never forget. You said to me, because it was a, we, we usually meet on Thursdays. And you said, now this weekend, I don't want you to think about it all. If it ever comes up, you go anywhere else but that. And I remember those first three, because Monday night was group night. I'd see you Thursday, go to group Monday night. And that those three days, I remember I felt, you know how tempered glass, how it spider webs mm-hmm. and everything. Mm-hmm. I felt like that, but that I was held together by rice paper. If, if some suggestion of that moment came up, I was going to split open and never be put back together. And, but that, that was a sentinel moment in me being able to turn and begin to mature in life. Because as you said, Pia talks about, we're just children. I don't care how old you are. We're just a broken child. That's the mm-hmm. essence of codependence. We've never matured out of that moment. And that was, in a sense, my birth to start maturing. Right. Well, and it, it you know, it, the, the thing that was amazing about it, and at the time they thought that it was replicating REM sleep, and now they've done some studies and know that it's really not uh, replicating REM sleep, but actually deep sleep. And that is, a, you know, one of the most important things we do in life is sleep. Because um, that's when your brain reprograms, that's when uh, the toxins are removed uh, from your uh, brain. And, and it also um, is, you know, where things get locked and put into, you know, long-term memory and stuff. The problem with like PTSD is it, it, it gets stuck at the gate, so to speak, and it just recycles. And, and so, you know, we're stuck in, in as uh Bezel Vanderkoek says, you know, we have this compulsion to repeat the trauma in all kinds of different ways uh, that we might not even recognize that that's the trauma speaking, but we all do it, whether it's drinking too much or having sex all over the place or, or whatever it is. Um, we're repeating, you know, what happened to us. And the thing that, that EMDR uh, really helped people do is one, uh, comparatively, and I'm not saying it's an easy process <laughs> because you just described it very well. Sometimes I probably just scared a bunch of people away from ever doing yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, you probably did. And 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 I can, uh, you know, I went through my trauma the old way, uh, but I have done EMDR. Um, I, I did EMDR for about ten years, and then I found out that there was, you know, a certification, and I'm I could have taught it, you know, at. Um, I went there and went, okay, this is kind of boring. But anyway, I did learn stuff, but you had to do EMDR. And so, you know, I, you know, one of my little stories is that my whole life right here in my gut, I, I just had a knot. And, and what I couldn't differentiate, and, you know, a lot of therapy is about learning how to differentiate the past from the present, you know, or present from the past, should, I should say, and, and or other kinds of things. You know, what, what are you feeling? What, you know, is this fear or is this excitement? Well, I couldn't differentiate fear and excitement or anxiety and excitement. Yeah. And, and I did this, 
this work, you know, and it was all, it wasn't cognitive. That's one of the powerful things about EMDR because a lot of us like me uh, will try to think our way through it. And it's not, it's not a, just a cognitive process. It's, it's a cognitive or trauma. It's a mo yeah. Right. yeah. Right. It's cognitive. It's kinesthetic. It's in our body. It's in our emotions. It's in our memories. And, um, and this was just something that probably started when, you know, I don't have to know the source of it. I just know I remember it leaving. Yeah. And I remember uh, when it left, I knew the difference between being anxious and excited. Because like if I was going to play in a ball game or something like that, I'd just be anxious. You know, even preparing for this a little bit, uh, just mentally, uh, I didn't really prepare much for it, but, but, you know, I, you know, I was thinking, well, I got to say it right. got to do this, blah, blah, blah. No, wait a minute, relax, relax. You're just excited. And I, and which is true. And, and I've had time I, since last night, I didn't sleep. Well. I, just, <laughs> <laughs> I slept like at the log last night. Thank God. <laughs> I slept good, but it just, you know, it's like, so we came up with this idea just the other day. It was like, well, it, it hit me a couple of weeks ago. And when you said, yes, I've just been like, you know, well, that, that's kind of you. Um, but the, the thing that, was so powerful for my clients and actually as a therapist for me is that, you know, before literally, you know, somebody could fall into a memory and be stuck, you know, for hours and, you know, and I'm, I'm yelling out to the office manager and saying, Hey, you need to cancel my appointments. This person is in, you know, we may have to hospitalize or, or him. And, um, and, and so, you know, to get them back, well, with the MDR, and, and I, I, I say this to all of my clients that I do MDR with, I say, you know, the longest period of time, you know, most people, it seems like eternity is 45 seconds I, that people break down. Now, you might cry really hard, and, and it may seem like hours, 45 seconds, okay? I've timed it. And, and you're not in a fetal position in the corner, you know, you're, and when you come back, it's the essence of Pia Melody's joy pain. Exactly. For the first time in your life, you're heaving what you've always been afraid to feel and express like, Oh, I never want to go there. That's too much pain, but it's actually joy. You're like, Oh my God, it's coming out. Oh my, with every heave, it's lighter and lighter. And you're like, Oh, and that's the only time like, it's like with my clients when I try and explain the concept of joy pain and then they have it. I'm like, it's just something you have to live, but you'll know it. And they always come mm -hmm. out and get it, Kenny. Yeah. Which, which much of life is about joy pain. Yes. You know, much, in fact, probably most of it is. Um, and, and we want it not to be. <laughs> and that's, that's what I'm trying to break through is for right. millions of years, we have as a society close the door on anything painful. Don't talk about it. Don't deal with it. It's not even okay. Anything. And that's, what's creating the lack of joy and exacerbating the pain. The answer is in the darkness, actually joy emanates. I mean, that's spiritual, that's biblical. That's even, um, um, Oh gosh, this is what see. I need more neurofeedback. My, I'm losing words. Um, <laughs> it, but it's cause you didn't sleep well last night. Yeah. It's also um, how the, the, 
not the atmosphere, how the world works, the not an anatomy of the world, but um, light comes after dark. It's, mm-hmm. you know, and, and so what mm-hmm. I'm trying to break down is that the answers in here, this is your, this gives birth to your joy when the whole mm-hmm. world, yes. Yeah. The pain mm-hmm. that your heart is in that. And we've just never been ta- all that's missing are the skills and tools. Mm-hmm. And once you have them, you can absorb anything in life. And you learn like I now, I love it when my life goes to hell. Because I know, oh my God, oh my God, it's getting really good. Like I get excited. It's always the answer. It's the avoidance of it. Avoidance is the death. And that's really yeah, big that, that's true. Problem. And and the student has surpassed the teacher in that. Uh, <laughs> but it, that was what my wife and I were talking about earlier. And we were talking about um, that healing is substantial. It's it's not complete. And, um, and, and we want it to be complete. We don't, you know, and we, we just want those happy moments and, and that isn't what life is about. And, um, so anyway, that's another topic, but, but the thing that I, that, that, that happened that I saw is that my clients, you know, before they were, you know, they were my client. It was a secure, uh, of course they didn't pay but half the time, but, um, it, you know, they've been my, my clients for three or four years. And now they're, they're my clients for six to eight months and, and they're going on into their lives. They're living life. You know, they're not living in the past. They're, they're, they're living in the present and they're, you know, they're, they're, they're substantially healed and they still have to continue to work and learn those skills you're talking about because, um, you know, this, this is an intervention. It's not a skill building exercise. I mean, it is to some extent, it's got that built into it, but you know, learning how to feel safe, for example, You're talking about neurofeedback, things right? like no, I'm talking about uh, EMDR and, oh. and neurofeedback, both yeah. of, both of the, them, you know, for example, with neurofeedback, I, you know, I, I can, um, I, you know, I can end, uh, your ADHD, but you still have to learn skills for uh, organizing and 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 uh, con- you know learning to have prolonged concentration. You know, but I, I can teach that. I mean, I'm, I can help your brain learn the right way to do that, or I can I can make it where your brain uh, no longer functions as a depressed person, but you still have you've lived in depression for years. You still have to learn skills. Yes. I'm often talking to parents when I'm working with, you know, with kids and, uh, and, and I'll remind them, you know, he's no longer dyslexic, but he still has to learn to read, Yes. you know, or he's no longer has dyscalculia, but he still has to learn math. You know, he has to go do the work. And, uh, so, um, the skills, You've the skill set are, for that to be learned where it was blocked off. In many, in all yeah, it, conditions, it, it would have been nearly impossible to learn the skills because you couldn't, you know, if you can't see uh, letters on a page or words on a page, you know, which is a brain dysfunction, uh, then then you're not going to learn to read. You know, and people don't imagine that that's really the problem with with people that have dyslexia and 
I mean, they, you know, there's lots of people that have been very successful with that problem, but can you imagine how much more success they would have if they didn't have it, you know? And not, my brother-in-law's a pretty famous uh, professional in the golf industry and as an agent and very successful, and he can't read a contract because he can't tell the words on a page. So he hires somebody to do it, but he's very successful. But you hear what I'm saying. So, um, and the same, same thing goes with the MBR. You know, you have to learn, um, you know, we, we, we may put the past in the past with the MBR so that it's not always creeping into your present, okay? But you still have to learn life skills. You still have to learn everything that Pia Melody talks about in her adult skills, you know, in her, in her chart. That's, uh, we have just, I know you have to go because it's Mother's Day. Otherwise, I'd keep you here for six hours. Um, well, you don't have to, I don't have to go right yet, but if you want me to, I will. <laughs> no, no, no. I want no. to keep okay. doing this. So. Okay, good. Um, I really wanted to get to that. Like, who, what is, do you think, like, the, the single thing, like, Pia, to me, like, I don't want to disparage somebody. But most people, when they learn about codependence, they learn from Melody B, which I didn't teach me anything about codependence. It told, taught me about alcoholism. In com when I compared to what I learned from Pia, and it breaks my heart. I mean, Pia is obviously well known. But what she's created goes way, like we're talking, at least in my personal opinion, which doesn't mean I'm right, just vastly different ability. You, you gain so much more knowledge and, and your life has so much more potential when you learn Pia stuff. But what would you say for the person that's listening, that's starting their journey and going, where do I go? What's the thing? What? I mean, I have my opinion, but what would you say? Where does somebody start? What's like the single greatest thing they need to look at to begin with? Well, um, or, or a second question, okay. a different question would be, no matter what their struggle is, what one, what one piece has to be a part of their recovery journey? Unfortunately, or fortunately, you're going to have to wait for that answer until next week in part two of my interview with Mike, my mentor. I hope you've enjoyed this first aspect of just getting to know a little bit about him and a little bit more about myself and how I came about the knowledge that I have, obviously, you can see I've learned from an incredibly skilled man, a man who has a bunch of depth and breadth when it comes to these topics. You're going to want to tune in next week because we not only answer this question of what's the single most fundamental thing we need to learn to live the life we want, but we get much deeper on other topics as well, share more of our personal journey together and our own trials and tribulations of life and the things we've discovered. So I highly encourage you to tune in next week to see the rest of this interview. And as always, enjoy the journey.